Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode. And this week, we're talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. Because I had an inkling to rewatch this movie and have a discussion about it because it, I had not seen it since the theater, but I needed two like-minded people to discuss this with me. And the first gentleman who's on the call with me tonight uh, is actually, this is the first time he is uh, on this show. Uh, he's lucky enough, like, well... I was lucky enough, I should say, he's labbing on one of his shows when we were talking about the the Expanse. Uh, where we talked about one of the, uh, the the first sequel of the Expanse, and he's host of many shows. And like to the point that I'm like, how the hell does he find the time to do this? He's just like a marathon runner when it comes to that host of like Academy Rewind, uh, Beers with Geeks, and and I'm I'm forgetting that there's more shows right there that I'm forgetting. Okay, there's so many out there that, you, you know, there's something for everybody, even those who can't remember all of them. So that's okay. You were on Read Up. Read Up. That's what you were on. That's why I'm just yeah. like, I'm like, I feel like such a jackass right there. I'm like, I, can't, I forgot the name of the show that I was on. That's okay. I forget the name of my show all the time. Don't even worry about it. I forget to record episodes for my own show. Never mind the name. So don't even worry about it. <laughs> and of course, I'm speaking to Tim Gannon. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing fantastic, and I knew it was the right time to bring you on because like, I needed to uh, pay you back for having me on your show. So I thought Star Wars is something that we consistently have conversations with on Twitter. And mm-hmm. like, even though we don't agree on everything, but it's never it's always civil. We don't break out uh, our lightsabers, and it becomes a ruckus on social media. That is correct. We are in the same time zone, so if you ever want to do that, just let me know. That is true. It's not hard. I mean, like we are. I think we're in close to the same tri-state area, so we could theoretically do this. And I hope somebody videotapes us doing that, and people like we will become internet famous for all the wrong reasons. Correct. <laughs> and the other person who who's been on the show recently and is. One of the biggest Star Wars fans uh, I know, and I mean, to the point that, like, I'll get texts at, like, four in the morning when I wake up uh, hours later about quotes of Star Wars. I'm like, I know who it is, and who was recently on the show for when we did the Dark Knight Rises podcast, Mr. Justin Cirillo. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing quite well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and it was really, I'm really happy that we were able to get together to do this because I was like, you know what? I, maybe it's just because it's it's in between the times between the next Star Wars property coming out, and I just felt the itch to it, and I hadn't watched uh, Solo in a long time. So like I said, we're talking about Solo Star Wars stories. Let's jump to our view of that right now. Okay, so to provide a little bit of context of what kind of Star Wars fans we are, I mean, it's the internet and we're talking about Star Wars, so it just kind of goes hand in hand, But and that might be a little trite to some people, but I think we need to do our due diligence and explain how we feel about Star Wars. So, Tim, what is your history with Star Wars? Um, I, re- I was introduced to A New Hope by my dad. We had it, like, taped off a of TV, and it was on the same 
VHS as ET and Sword in the Stone. So I always link those. I always link those movies together. Um, and I, 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 when I was a little kid, I was like, I liked it. I didn't love it. It was fine. But no one ever showed me the sequels. They only showed me A New Hope. Like that's where my parents stopped. Um, and even then, when the re-releases came out in '97, like my grandparents took me to see A New Hope and didn't take me to the other one. So for like almost 12, 11, 10, 11 years, I was like, this, this is the only one. There's no more Star Wars. Um, and then I had a friend in um, elementary and middle school who was like hard car- hardcore Star Wars, like, um, uh, you know, read all the books, you know, all the like all, all the video games, all the stuff. And he was the one that really got me into he was the one that really got me pumped and jazzed for all Star Wars. I ended up seeing Return of the Jedi before Empire Strikes Back, and I don't really know why that happened that way. Um, maybe because like we had all the, we got the VHSs when I was a kid, like the re-release ones, and we watched them out of order. I, I can't remember exactly how that happened, but um, so I so there was a lot of catching up to do by the time you get to Return of the Jedi if you skip Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> but you know, then I was. Um, but I was uh, I was a little kid. I was like 10, 11, 12, so something, so somewhere around there when Phantom Menace came out. And, you know, the rest is history. It's been um, I've been a hardcore, hardcore Star Wars fan ever since. And I mean, books, comics, games, like all of I'll see it all. And I'm a I'm not a Star Wars like um, purist. Like it can only be from this era or this era. I'm like. It's Star Wars. I'll find something that I like in it. No problem. I'll figure it out. Nice. So I'm trying to... Well, E.T. was your sequel. When you went to go see the re-releases, I'm surprised you didn't say, like, why is E.T. showing up after the end of that movie? Uh, Hilariously, didn't ever watch E.T. even though it was on that tape. I actually only watched E.T. for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Really? Yep. Yep. I loved it. It was great. I was like, I assumed that I knew the whole story, and and one, I was wrong, and two, it it really has earned its place in cinema history. It was really delightful. I loved it. Huh. Well, that, that's that's a that's a wormhole of conversation right there, but I'm not going to dive into because we'll get lost. Uh, but yeah, that, that's interesting. I imagine I'm trying to wrap my brain around like watching New Hope, and then all of a sudden watching Return of the Jedi. Like, why is Han Solo piece of furniture now. Why is Luke calling the evil space uh, samurai dad? It's it's really weird. Yeah, that's the one that had the most catching up to do. Like, but you know, when you're a kid, you just kind of you just kind of like roll with whatever the movie's doing. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know enough about how stories are supposed to work or anything like that. Like, you read the text in the front. Or someone reads it to you if you're small enough, and they're like, you know, he's a uh, Luke Skywalker Jedi Knight. I'm like, ah, he got a, he got promoted. Good for him. <laughs> like, and then you just kind of keep going with it, and that's it. That's I mean, you you understand stuff, I guess. You know, like you didn't really understand when you're a cl- little little kid. Like conversations like around the the Death Star boardroom table, like you don't know what they're talking about. Like, you just know that they're supposed to, they're evil because you've seen Darth Vader be evil. And then they just kind of move on to the next action set piece. That's true. 
And I, I just never trust anybody with that shiny of a table afterwards. Like, after seeing that, the, the big conference table, I'm like, no, no, they're up to nefarious deeds if you ever walk into a room when it's something that's just, like, black marble as your table. Correct. <gasps> yep. Correct. Uh, what about you, Justin? Your history with Star Wars. So the first time I saw Star Wars, I think, was when my parents bought the uh, 1995 VHS release of it. Um, I must have been six years old at the time, and I watched it. I remember liking it, um, and I eventually saw, uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. I remember the, the day I, I watched Star Wars for the, for the first time, it was like, a really rainy day in like early spring so it's just miserable outside um hmm. and then i don't have any memories of the first time i saw uh the other two films like i know i liked them cuz i got here and <laughs> um but uh from you know the first time i watched it i was like this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And, you know, probably about a half a year after I watched it for the first time, I was, you know, a Star Wars fan for life. Nice. Uh, I love how your story is kind of like you just, like, Seinfeld your way through it. Like, yada, 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 <laughs> here I am. I'm a Star Wars fan. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it's been it's been a long Almost thirty years. I think I texted you the uh, oh, the other right. day that um, from <laughs> the period the period from when I first saw Star Wars to present day is the same amount of time that's passed from the original release of Star Wars to when I first saw it. So about twenty years each. And I sprouted another gray hair yeah. when you said that. Well, I mean, <laughs> you could use some. You're you're awfully gingery. Well, yeah, no, and it's funny. Like now that my car has like a sunroof, like it's just like getting baked in the sun wherever I drive now. So I'm, it's getting it's even fierier than usual. The fire does rise. Uh, <laughs> ah, very good. <laughs> um. So yeah, like it, it, like you two gentlemen, I was introduced to Star Wars as a, when I was a kid. I remember my dad brought home a VHS copy of A New Hope, and I think uh, I think he get, like he bought it off from a friend from work or something like that. But it was like it was pre special edition, and I think it was like CBS Video that might have put it out because they had like done kind of weird things like that, and. The art on the cover is a little bit different than the traditional, uh, like, one-sheet poster that we're kind of used to for the 77 film. Like, it still has Luke showing up the lightsaber to the sky, puts his layers down by his side with the pistol, or the blaster, I should say. And, but it's like, it's done in a very different style. It's not the Drew Struzan kind of poster. And, like you two gentlemen, I was just obsessed with it afterwards. But I did not see the re-releases in 97. I've never seen the original trilogy on the big screen, which is unfortunate. Um, so, like, the first 
Star Wars movie I saw on the big screen was The Phantom Menace. And I, I saw that and Attack the Clones with my granddad because those are two summers he was down here visiting. And he took me to see those. Um, saw Revenge of the Sith uh, with my sister and her husband at the time. And yeah, I've just been... I've been a fan of Star Wars and I've dipped my toe into like things outside the movies. Like I've, I've played a lot of the video games. Uh, I've read a, a few pieces of the expanded universe... It, that's now considered legends right now. I'm actually in, I'm holding this up for this good new audience form. Uh, the Han Solo trilogy right now. It's the first book, The Paradise Snare, because I was like, and this is actually my second copy of the books. So I have no idea where the first one went. Um, so I went to a local bookstore to pick it up and cause I support local bookstores. So I think it's just a good thing to do. And it was so funny because, like, I called to say if they had any in stock. I'm like, no, but we can put an uh, order from our warehouse. What book are you looking for? And I felt kind of embarrassed. I'm like, it's a Star Wars book, uh, The Paradise Snare. <laughs> okay, sir, we can put a hold on that. I'm like, thank you. And I'm like, god damn, it's going to be embarrassing when I pick this up. Uh, I feel that way every time I walk to the front. Like, I used to work in a bookstore, so I am well aware that booksellers judge the customers to what you are like what 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 kind of reader are you are because i used to work at blockbuster we used to judge the people who like oh you're you're renting rocket man again are you <laughs> and no not the elton john one because that didn't exist when blockbuster were around i'm talking like going to like going to mars rocket man you rented this three times this week why don't you just go out and buy it? <laughs> uh, but I imagine, like, how many copies of Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey resulted in judgmental looks from booksellers when those were. Yeah, I, I mean, unless they're reading it themselves, which sometimes you do, you do encounter. Mm -hmm. You know, so you never know who's going to be at the front counter. <laughs> now we just might be scaring away potential. Uh, uh, book customers right there it's like oh you're gonna get judged by your taste right there so moral story don't read that's what we're saying here that's right don't read <laughs> only watch movies yes they... but only stream them because so only the giant corporations can judge you <laughs> uh, but I would have gotten the audiobook but it's only an abridged version and I'm just like it's 2021 why do we still have abridged versions of books that's my question. Uh, you know, that's I can actually answer that because most of the Star Wars abridged audiobooks um, are have never been updated to their full lengths. Mm -hmm. Only only a select few, like the like the Thrawn trilogy and stuff like. Only those got redone. But most of that, but up until after the Yuuzhan Vong stuff, so like Fate of the Jedi or something like that, mm -hmm. that was about the time when they started doing full audiobooks. Um, and so you won't see... So unless it's a really special book, you're going to get... You're going to get... Um, like early 2000s, any Star Wars book before that, you're just only going to see the abridged versions. That's unfortunate. I mean, because that's how I experienced the Thrawn trilogy was the full versions audiobook wise. Mm -hmm. So I have a very so when I think of Captain Pellion or Grand Admiral Thrawn, I hear a very specific voice in my head. So yeah, if well, he's a, Captain Pellion, exactly. Yeah. There yeah, we go. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> uh, so uh, I mean, it's kind of like uh, when my friends and I like we covered the Harry Potter books when when Ron Weasley joins the Quidditch team and says the Weasley is our king 
my friend Dakota and I have the exact same cadence singing that song. My friend Nikki, who read the books, is like, that sounds a lot different from how I have it in my head. It's a far different rhythm. So, like, okay, that's a little bit of a disconnect there. That's right. Weasley is our king. Yeah, Greg, because you listen to the Jim Dale yes. audiobooks, right? Yeah, yeah. Those are so good. I mean, yeah. Jim Dale's one of those people, like, if you could narrate my life, I would really appreciate it. I would, like, mm-hmm. do more greater things just to warrant you to narrate my life. I would try to meet more interesting people so he could say their names. <laughs> like, that would be the... That's what I would try for. Um, so... What was so Tim? I ask you, what was your expectation going into Solo: a Star Wars Story? What was your fandom at post Last Jedi? Um, I like the Last Jedi a lot. I don't want to say I love it because I don't want people to turn off the podcast right away, but I kind of love it. Um, and so, um, I will defend. I will defend a large chunk of it. And so, though I don't, it though that's the like the film degree in me like it's not necessary or like the 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 english teacher part of me i don't think it, it doesn't fill me with like the good feeling of star wars the same way um and so my feeling on solo was unnecessary when it was announced leading up to it all the chaos involved in making the movie all that stuff i was kind of unnecessary there were things that gave me hope like the Kasdans um, Ron Howard when he was brought on um, even the cast is re- was really strong so I didn't really know or care what to expect It would, but it just felt like I didn't need the story upon well I will leave it there I will, I will leave my answer there until you ask further questions <laughs> What were you, Justin? What was your feelings going into Solo? I wasn't as hyped for this, and I think we were talking about this uh, a couple of days ago, Tim. When mm. Last Jedi came out, like uh, the two of you, I enjoyed The Last Jedi. I think it's easily the best one of the sequel trilogy. Um, the problem was, you know, not even six weeks after I had seen it in the the movie theater, I'm watching the Super Bowl, and there's a trailer for more Star Wars, which felt a little excessive. I, I, I don't want to go so far to say as um, Solo was unnecessary. I think, you know, one, I think... I personally always, you know, wondered about Han Solo's backstory. Maybe we need to see it this soon after Disney um, took over uh, the license. But I do think it does, you know, just fill in some, some little gaps that, may or may not be important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still... I didn't mind that they were that they were doing it. Um, the, the big problem I had was just the timing of it. The summer 2018 release just felt very rushed, very... Um, we need to get this out there as soon as possible when 
I think this film definitely could have used another, you know, six months of just, you know, work on it. Because I think it mm. it tells the the basic it does the basic things right, tells a decent story, um, but there are little details. Some takes aren't, you know, great. Mm. And I just think fan fatigue would have been a whole lot less than it would have been. And I think all these problems could have been resolved with just a little extra work, attention to detail and care that they've, that Disney has, you know, shown to other projects like The Clone Wars and Mandalorian. So, it it pretty much just comes down to we didn't need a, a Star Wars film five months after a Star Wars film. Yeah, it, it's... Like, I wonder if it's like they felt... Well, shit. We just killed off Han Solo. We we want to be in the Han Solo business. So let we can't bring him back as a Force Ghost because Harrison Ford doesn't know what a Force Ghost is. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though they did that anyway. <laughs> that, that was a that's a memory. That's a that's his Jiminy Cricket conscience. Uh, yeah, or it's Leia's last Force, um, or it's. Leia's last will of the Force yeah. to project Han into him, you know, to her la- one last like gift to her son before she dies. So there's a couple way different ways to read it. I, I, I think we can all agree that the Han Solo appearance in the Last Skywalker is one of the few good things about that film. The Rise of Skywalker. Yes, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Um, I think that's a different. I think that's a whole different. I think we're gonna go down a rabbit hole if we don't stick with Solo. Um, so I think. I mean, Disney tried or Lucasfilm wanted to follow the kind of a, a a systematic approach, right? They said episode Star Wars story, episode Star Wars story, episode Star Wars story. So you really would be. You really should be getting those like one every year or one. You know, if you're going in that. You know, um, and so I get the I get the idea of fatigue, but I love Star Wars. So if you want to give me a new Star Wars thing five months after the last Star Wars thing, great. Like I, that that doesn't um, that doesn't um, hurt me. I do agree about some of it. Some of Solo being could be rushed, um, and I will. I'll, I'll let Tim ask more questions, and maybe I'll. I'll I'll, I'll slip more in. Right. Um, like, I think it's because at that point for 2015, 2016, 2017, Star Wars was a December movie. It was a Christmas movie. It was a holiday movie. and Or holiday season kind of get-together. And so all of a sudden, if it had been coming out in summer, it just felt a little one of these things is not like the other. Uh, plus the fact that Last Jedi um, was met with universal praise and uh, acceptance from everybody who's ever seen it. Uh, nobody <laughs> has any problems whatsoever. Um, 
No, it was like the running the bulls, but it was in two bulls in two different directions. Like it was, it was a massacre. Uh, I mean, it's still being fought in the the on the internet today. I'm sure there's got to be exabytes of data somewhere of just arguments about the Last Jedi, mm-hmm. and and I do feel like okay, uh, so like a it seemed a little like Justin. It seemed a little unnecessary to me because. You had an entire universe of characters we have never seen that much before. Like like the book series I mentioned before. It's really cool to have that, but you know everything you need about Solo when he walks into the cantina in A New Hope. And you know everything about the kind of person he's like, how he saunters into that story, and how it continues going forward. But it, it would be... I'd be lying to say if it wasn't interesting, because I did end up seeing in the theater with... Uh, uh, two mutual friends for Justin and I. I saw it with our friends uh, Zach and Dakota. The three of us went to go see it. And the three of us kind of were just like, I don't want to say we shrugged, saying, eh, we liked it. It was just like more like, hey, we enjoyed it. Like, I feel like, and it's a sentiment that's been going around for years now, and I think this needs to be said more often. It's okay if everything is just fine. Yeah. Not everything has to be the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. It's just fine is okay. I, I do find it curious. Like people will of, often decree, like, "Oh, this is the best thing that's ever happened. It's the worst thing that ever happened." While still going to things like Applebee's and Sizzlers, I'm like, "You're f- willing to go to fine food, okay?" And yet you still you won't accept that kind of level of care when it comes to movies. Right there, I find kind of bass backwards. Yeah, I'm with you in that it doesn't have to like movies don't have to be the best thing ever, the worst thing ever. They just have to be you know and i can you know and you know the viewer can decide you know like it's okay to just be an okay movie i mean of course strive for greatness of course Mm -hmm. don't like pump out mediocrity but like if it's not if it's not if it doesn't surpass the very next one oh well you know it that's okay um so i did say that i felt it was unnecessary upon viewing the movie are we there yet can we talk about viewing the movie? Yeah, if you want to talk about the first time you saw it. Yeah. Um, upon viewing the movie, I had uh, a great time. I, I I really enjoyed it. Like, it's fun. Um, the cast is strong. Um, it may not, um, you know, it, it may not change a lot of things forever, but I think it, it, makes, some, it makes some really cool choices um, about, uh, you know, about, like, Han's journey and the way that it that's reflected in a lot of different ways that we can talk about as we kind of dive into it. So, uh, so my opinion changed. I went from unnecessary to maybe not completely necessary, but at least I liked it, and that you know that was good enough for me. Nice. Uh, what about you, Justin? There's a, a a lot of things that this movie does well, and um, one of them is definitely. You know, probably the most important thing, which is characterizing Han Solo. Um, I think it, you know, from the start, his his background on uh, Corellia to how he escaped and how he, you know, got tangled up in galactic crime lord syndicates. I think that part of the... Uh, the adventure, I really was more interested to see rather than, 
oh, how did he meet Chewbacca? How did he, you know, get his name? I, you know, the the fact that he goes from like, you know, just a random nobody on a backwater industrial planet to, you know, fighting against uh, other criminals and uh, scoundrels in the galaxy. That, to me, is the the really interesting part of the film. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, you, like, like the easy criticisms of it and, like, Red Letter Media has done it well when, we saw, when they were satirizing Solo. Like, like, find out where we got his last name. The Falcon. Where he met Chewbacca. <laughs> like, that's, like, the most cynical take you can have on the movie. Like, is it completely necessary? No, and I think we can admit that, at least a little bit of it. It seems like, I think it's something, I don't think everybody was clamoring for it. Yeah. I think that's a way we could phrase it. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, it was an interesting ride to go along the way, and the production of this was kind of um, turbulent, to say the least, and because the filmmakers that were initially hired to make this movie... Uh, Lord Miller, the gentleman behind uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, uh, 21 Jump Street, and the Lego movie, were hired to do this movie, to do a solo Star Wars story, and saw over 2,500 people to play Han Solo, eventually landing on Alden Ehrenreich, uh, who prior to this was most famous for being in the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar. and to which he is excellent. Yes. Yeah. And I kind of imagine... Like, all the Aaron Reich has probably gotten direction like that prior, and I kind of feel really bad for, like, the, the, that result direction that he gets that from Ray Fiennes, that movie. I'm like, oh, God, that's this is terrible for an actor right there. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have Woody Harrelson as Tobias Beckett, who is, like, Han's mentor and scoundrel of all scoundrels. Uh, Amelia Clark as, I, how do you pronounce it? It's pronounced Kira, right? Kira. Kira. Okay. Um, who's... Han's childhood friend, and a lot of people were concerned for this role. I think people like uh, was it Tessa, Tom- uh, Tessa Thompson, Naomi Scott, Zoe Kravitz. Uh, a lot of people considered for the role, and I kind of feel bad for Amelia Clark because she's ha- obviously had success on Game of Thrones, but like her ventures into big blockbusters movies have not been the best, whether it be this or Terminator Genesis. Mm-hmm. She's going to be in Secret Invasion. Um, Marvel Secret Invasion, so maybe maybe third time's the charm for her. Yeah, um, and she's actually really good in Last Christmas. Uh, she is really good in Last Christmas. Yeah, I watched it this past holiday season. I was supremely surprised how charming that movie was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest uh, takeaway from the movie we have Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. And I think it's what I think that was almost universal praise that people wanted to see more of him as Lando, uh, Sandy Newton as Val Beckett's wife, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge who's L three, and Paul Bettany as Dryden Voss who I, he is a replacement uh, because Michael K. Williams was initially cast for this character, and I'll get into that in a little bit and. Yeah, I'm gonna butcher this gentleman's name who plays uh, Chewbacca here. Uh, Junis uh, Sutamato, who plays Chewbacca, who would play Chewbacca, I think, in The Force Awakens, 
and Blast Jedi, along with Peter Mayhew. And, yeah, and so Lord Miller are brought on and with a script by Lawrence and Jonathan Kasdan. But Lord and Miller was under the impression they were here to make a comedy within Star Wars films. Where Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy wanted a Star Wars movie with a comedic touch. And Lord Miller would just do take after take after take after take, like doing 30 takes per setup, resulting in a lot of overtime and a lot of late night shooting, resulting to the budget ballooning to the point that they were let go from the project three weeks left of production after working after shooting for four months. Ron Howard comes back, comes in on the project, finished production, and reshoots close to 70% of the movie and oversees post-production release of the movie, and that's why Ron Howard is credited as director and Lord Miller or not. It's crazy. Yeah. I can't that- imagine this as a comedy. Or any Star Wars as comedy. Like, you have to do a series of meetings before you get a, a job like this, like especially like tone meetings, like so you know everybody's on the right page. So I, I wonder why, if you were so dissatisfied so early on, why did you, like apparently they were given a lot of chances to say like, no, this is what we wanted more, and Lord Miller just kept doing this, the things they wanted to do, and that's why they were eventually let go. But it seems like, I don't know, they should have, yanked him off the project earlier uh, yes yeah i think that i think it's bad optics to yank directors no matter what and so because they went through a, some of uh, rogue one and you know issues in the same in the same way gareth edwards had struggled with with some uh, some of the the parts of the movie and just because there was this trend for a, a good chunk of time to hire the indie director i mean they still do it but i mean like hire the indie they got one movie out of the like they got one movie hire them and will and set them up shop but because marvel was doing that but marvel has like this system in place to support those directors they're like you know like i remember somebody was saying like oh they asked if i wanted to do this movie and i said oh and they said don't worry we'll handle the action scenes um, and they said, well, what if I want to do the action scenes? And they were like, don't worry about it. We're going to do them. And so it's really more like you come in to do the dialogue and the tone and the this and the that and the progression, but maybe the look or, but not even so much that, but like it's, you're really more of like a television director and Marvel's the showrunner mm-hmm. um, than that. And so in, in, in um, Lucasfilm didn't really have that model set up to oversee the tone of Star Wars. Um, they kind of hoped that everyone would just kind of get Star Wars. I um, a couple months ago, I went through and read the um, the art, a different art of Star Wars books. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is real? What I always find really interesting about those, especially the Disney era, is that it's it always starts in pre-production before directors before a script they're always just churning out ideas with this broad concept of like okay it's han solo's origin story give me the goods and then like Kaz, the Kazans would come in and be like oh i like that and that and that i will figure out a way to incorporate them and i like this and this and this i will figure out a way to incorporate them and so when you have that happening by the time lord and miller come on 
like they're trying to like make it their own and that's really not what they were hired for and i think that's where a lot of the problem comes from right and like i'm not saying like lord miller in the wrong right here i just feel like they have this particular way of making movies and it's obviously work with them up to this point that i guess like obviously Lucasfilm gave him leeway to, to make that, but as obviously it was not working out. But I just wonder why didn't Kazan just make this movie? He he has directed in the past. And he's directed some really good movies. I I just find it curious why he didn't do this. Other than it's he's an older man, and it's a gargantuan project. Yeah, he might just not have been interested. I mean, they like they kind of roped him in for Force Awakens, but they only did that by luring him in to write Solo. You know, like we'll we'll give you a Star Wars movie to write if you come and help us fix Force Awakens. So, so that's what he, so that's what he did. That's a, and that's, but I don't think he was ever interested in directing it. Right, but now I'm just like for comedy's sake, I just imagine uh, Kazan's phone rings. He picks it up and he just hears screaming at fire on the other end of the phone. It's just J.J. <laughs> Abrams in a very calm voice, like uh, Lawrence, can you help me right here? Ah! You hear Wilhelm yeah. scream in the background. It was like he's like, "Okay, I'll be there soon." Uh, yeah, and so as a result of the reshoots, Paul Bettany came in to replace Michael K. Williams, who was going to play uh, Vosper as a very different character. He's going to be like half mountain lion, half human. Um, but no, Paul Bettany is just there for the reshoots. That's why he never leaves that one location. Um, yeah, and, and there's a few other things that like. I don't want to say it feels cheap in certain ways, but it definitely seems like you're missing a few things to make this feel a little more whole, in my opinion. We'll kind of get into that. But the balloon, the budget balloon to like around $275 million or north of 300 depending on who you ask. And it only, it barely made, it was just shy of $400 million worldwide. So it was considered a loss. And despite the well received critics and audiences being around like 70% when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes so people liked it just just not a lot of people turned out for it which I find was that a result of everybody's kind of being like how Justin said before that he was kind of like too soon for Star Wars or is it really just in the wake of The Last Jedi that turned people off from this movie Um, I think it's both I think it's I think it's I think it's both. I think there is a there's a group of people that were like, I've had enough Star Wars for now. I'm not super into it, so I don't really care. Like my wife is a great example of this. She likes Star Wars a lot. Will only watch the episodes. Like she does not care. Like I had to basically like hog tire to watch Rogue One. <laughs> um and it was like, okay, your choice of movie movie night and that's how I got her to watch Solo cuz I was like I don't even feel like watching it, but I want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see it um and that was a while ago and and i like lured her into the mandalorian with grogu like that was so um like as many people did with their spouses and whatever else but like she like she is the nope not in, not like star wars but not enough to not so i'm not going to see that one so there's those types and then the people who are like last jedi killed star wars for me you quote unquote ruined my childhood and um and so I will never support your giant billion-dollar corporation ever again. 
good day, sir. <laughs> and so, and you have, so you have, so you have that, and you have that crowd too. And I think just those two things combined kind of created a perfect storm of, you know, plus the behind the scenes stories and Star Wars fans can be kind of cruel. Um, no. And so, like, no, I know, Phantoms I know. Being cruel, and so, boy. The, <laughs> I know. So there's just like, I, this, this, franchise about hope compassion and love is my most important thing and i will never adhere to the things that they teach me um so um so anyway so i just think it was all of those things merged to create people didn't see it and which is unfortunate because it is a like you got to give ron howard a lot of credit and and it's just a really competent movie especially if you know what happened behind the scenes if you didn't know what happened and you just saw it, I don't think you might not attach yourself to it in the same way because I'm looking at it and going, wow, how did you do that in that amount of time? And like and like you said, like obviously Paul Bettany's in one location. Mm. So he's only there for the reshoots. And so but um, but that's that's fine. It works. Yeah, I, I mean, like the job of the hut, he was a giant puppet. Is a reason why he's only like in technically like two locations if you count the barge, but like Paul Bendy, he's got two working legs. He can go anywhere, but no, he's on the house arrest apparently for this movie. Uh, hey, I wouldn't want he, to leave that yacht either. No, it, it, the yacht looks dope and everything, and the the jazz fusion group that's going on there the whole time. Uh, even if mm-hmm. the the people you're mingling with might be not the most scrupulous people to hang out yeah, with and everything. Stay Bad coming away from murdering you. <laughs> but with a face like that, I mean, would you want to go out in public? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I think if it, the, it's kind of a weird thing, like watching the 2017 version of Justice League. Like, can you watch that without with the not separating like, all the behind the scenes nonsense with it? I don't know. It uh, depends on the person. But Solo, the movie, the Star Wars story opens up. And we open up on Corellia, where during it's during the early years of the First Galactic Empire, and we see Han Solo and Kira trying to get off of Corellia, but uh, they're in debt to Lady Proxima, and it's not going so well. That Han wants to get out of there, and he, we get to see a little bit of the trying to weasel his way into some kind of deal or trying to get out of a dangerous situation. And even pretending a rock is a thermal detonator, uh, which I always find kind of funny, resulting in a speeder chase and Han and Kira getting separated when they're trying to get off of Corellia after stealing some goods. So, Tim, how do you feel about this opening setting up of Kira and, and Han and the like first like real depiction of Corellia and just the the tone of the movie as it starts out with? Um, I think it's actually I think it's pretty strong actually um and I, I it I every time I watch solo I like it a little bit more because I notice a little a little bit more of like all right what are you doing what genre are you what subgenre of Star Wars are you playing in and you're like they're playing in the western like full out the western um and so we the first time we see Corellia it's a big shipyard you're basically looking at the Star Wars Dickensian like Dickensian London like gray skies, dockyards, like almost brutalist architecture. Um, everything is everything is colorless and joyless, and um, 
and like as the movie progresses like more color gets added into the film which i really you know which i really like but it it starts so like as han kind of well as Khan kind of like opens up into the world so the world kind of opens up for Han or the galaxy opens up for Han through color and so I like that he's kind of this like artful dodger type character um, and so and then you know like in like stealing the car and all that stuff that's like that's we've never seen Han do that but I know Han did that before like, you know you can almost like that's the Han that I know even though I've never even seen him do it or talk about it. It just feels very natural for the character to be kind of of the urchin. Like, you know, he's opt- I like that he's he's optimistic and, you know, he becomes less so. He becomes more jaded as he gets older. Um, but I, 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 I dig all of that. And the, like, it's 10 years before... It's 10 years before A New Hope. So even, like, the car that he steals looks like it, like... It looks like it looks like a car that you would see more in like the fifties or sixties than like the seventies style of like Star Wars cars. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it looks ten years previous. So like, what kind of car is Han cruising around in? Because that was George's big thing, right? He loved cars. You know, see American graffiti. Mm-hmm. So for Han to be almost like the avatar for George Lucas to be like, I'm going to steal this car and I'm going to drive it really fast. So I'm going to do this and it's not going to work out for me. That, that all feels like it, that, that all feels like it should work. Nice. What about you, Justin? Yeah, I think first of all, um, I like how we kind of get a crawl, but not really a crawl because there's, you know, flashes of, of, uh, text on the screen in the intro, so I thought that was a nice touch while also making it feel distinct from, you know, a typical Star Wars film, because I know one of the big complaints about uh, Rogue One was, oh, why was there no uh, title crawl? You know, people nitpicking about uh, that, so I think this was a good middle ground between that um and then Hansel's first line like he said uh Tim I think his first line is yeah I did that you should see how the other guy looks like <laughs> I I just know that that's what Hansel would say um so it, it gets off to a really strong start I instantly buy into the relationship between him and Kira because uh, both of them have really good on-screen chemistry throughout this film and it it really you know uh, brings you into the the universe well and it's strange because um, I, I played Rogue Squadron when I was a kid, the Star Wars video game and there's a mission on Corellia, it looks nothing like um, how it's depicted in in Solo. So, like, mm-hmm. this is my first time, you know, seeing a different Corellia, because for 20 years of my life, I just imagine Corellia. It's, it's a nighttime planet, there's a city, everything looks, you know, okay here. And, uh, no, the, the aesthetic in this is a lot different and a lot, a lot more real, a lot more grounded in 
um, the the grittiness of the Star Wars uh, universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I like the I like a lot of the aesthetic choices they made on this in this film, and Corelli is one of them. Uh, hashtag not my Corellia. Yes, that's the that's the campaign you're starting now. Uh, yeah, it, it's. I think it's. I like. I like the, the depiction of Corellia and like, like you mentioned him that uh, it's almost like a Dickensian version of Star Wars right there. Um, like I was half expecting uh, Han Solo is like, well, I want more from this deal, and Lady Proxima to go <laughs> more. More, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I like I, I like the idea of him trying to bluff his way with a rock as a thermal detonator, and like immediately being called out for it. And he's like, "All right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna still gonna switch it up on you." Like, I like the chase, but like, like I feel like there should have been like some other obstacles in the way. It's like it's just like chasing, chasing. Like either the bad guys got to start shooting at them or jump from one vehicle to another, something to add more obstacles in the way. Uh, but I do like the one protocol droid who's running that gate is like <laughs> really mad at Solo breaking and walks in the way and ends up getting uh, cut in half by the pursuing vehicle. And then even that stormtrooper who just like stormtroopers are bad guys. I mean, this guy was just trying to be a traffic cop, but like eats a lot of shit when he runs into one thing and goes airborne. Um, and uh, I like the idea, like, Han Solo's like, I got this, I totally got this, and immediately crashed, like, loses the speeder in, the, in between those two buildings right there. Um, I, I think the two things I, I really hold against this scene is, like, between Han and Kira, it's a lot of, like, really forced exposition, which obviously it's there for the audience, totally. not really for them. Like, mm-hmm. It's kind of like how I refer to it, it's like, uh, so how long have we been brothers? Kind of like yeah, storytelling. Right. <laughs> like, you know this. You should not be telling, explaining this. You're only saying this for the audience's sake. So that's a little rough. I get that. And I know a lot of people are wondering, like, Solo's surname being given to him by a, an Imperial security guard being, like, kind of ham-fisted. I'm like, I never really had a problem with it. I find it, it sure, is it a little too cute? Maybe, but I'm not going to really... I'm not going to lose sleep over that, but I know some people do. Yeah, I don't know if I lose. I don't know if I lose sleep over it, but I, I, I think everybody saw it coming, and it just like it's not clever. I think it was just kind of like the lowest common denominator of how you get a last name. Somebody gives it to you, and you're like, oh, that's fine. I mean, it could have just literally been his last name. Like, I don't think it had to have been assigned to him. Mm. Like, you know, like, oh, he's he works on his own, so he's solo. But, like, but he doesn't ever really work on his own. Like, he's always got somebody around. <laughs> like, so, um, so yeah, it's just, it's, I guess maybe that's the irony of the guy even giving him his name, Han Solo. And he's, like, always uh, At least a duo. What I do like about, yeah, say again? He's always at least a duo. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he's oh Han Duo. <laughs> what no? <laughs> um, what I actually do really like about that scene is the like, the forties um, like army propaganda for join the empire using the imperial march theme. I thought that I think that's lovely. Um, that's a that's a very that's a very nice in like in joke, and I like that. Mm. 
And if you actually lose sleep over a Star Wars movie and you actually had no involvement with the production, please reevaluate your life. I know it's a mean thing to say, but like, like it's that's my same criticism that people say like Star Wars ruined my like you ruined my childhood. I'm like, well, if that's if that really is the case, I'm sorry. Your childhood was boring, and that really ruined it for you. I am sorry. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, there's there's always other incarnations. Star Wars is a little tougher when it comes to incarnations because I can be like, oh, I didn't like the latest incarnation of Batman or whatever, but at least I have all of these other ones and the comics and the TV show, you know, like whatever. But you can't really do that with Star Wars because it's all Star Wars. You kind of have to live with the choices that each Star Wars project makes Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, you know, unless you're talking the original Clone Wars series or the holiday special or the, the, you know, like, so there are like, there are things that we have like, pushed aside though technically they're all still star wars so they're all in there somewhere like like that's why they let go lord miller they kept making life day jokes and they said like all right we can't we can only stand we can't stand no more no and then the first episode of the mandalorian throw a life day joke in there (laughs) (laughs) oh geez and in the process of trying to escape han and kira are separated and so Han decides, like, you know what? I'm going to join the uh, Imperial Academy so he can become a pilot and come back and rescue Kara from uh, from Corellia. And saying, like, he asked the Han asked the recruitment officer, like, I should be a pilot soon. Like, if you're qualified, you'll be there in no time. Cut to three years later, he's in the middle of a battlefield. And it's not love that's this battlefield. Um... <laughs> uh, but it kind of is though which sounds good yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm like all right i'm like i i saw an opportunity i had to seize it right there um and it's it's weird seeing a battle from the empire's point of view like that and we want them to survive and everything but along the way han is seeing this kind of a, a gunslinger of a imperial trooper massacring people and they're wondering what the hell is going on we find out that this is Tobias Beckett, played by Woody Harrelson, his girlfriend Val, played by Than Newton, and the alien Rio, voiced by John Favreau of all people. And Han realizes, "Oh, you're impersonating Imperials," and tries to turn them in, but it's to a person, a superior officer who does not like Han, and says, "Like, you know what? You're just lying. You're just trying to." You're trying to be a saboteur or a traitor and everything. So let's feed him to the beast. And they're like, wait, there's a beast here? And that's when it ends up in a... Uh, if this is like a early 2000s like internet show, it would be like women's uh, mud wrestling, but it's just Hansel and, and Chewbacca. So, uh, Justin, I'll go to you this time. Your feelings on the... Seeing Han as a soldier and his introduction to Chewbacca. The soldier stuff I liked because... Uh, I think it's always been in Legends that Han um, was an Imperial, some sort of connected to it. Either he failed out or or just um, had a change of heart. So that uh, I thought was cool. I I like how they respected um, that part of uh, his his backstory um 
the Chewbacca stuff. However, this uh, is, uh, you know, probably um, where I get into, you know, some some of these moments in this film just feel a little bit contrived, and this is uh, a pretty um, pretty glaring uh, example of it, um, because. So for you know the first twenty minutes of this film, all we know about Han Solo is that he's been on Corellia all his life, has never you know left the planet. And I know there's a three-year gap in between while he's away with the Empire, but I just I don't think there's many people who believes that oh. He just happens to know how to speak Wookiee because. Well, he went to Kashyyyk to enslave it with the Empire. That's how he learned how to speak Wookiee. Yeah, I, I, Tim, I, usually the, the colonizers don't take the time to learn the language of those they're uh, oppressing. That's true. I'll give you that. Um, and what about you, Tim? Your feelings on this little battle and the Chewbacca introduction. Uh, like Justin, I also really liked the, the, the warfare stuff. I like that. We don't really see the war. It's just kind of mass chaos. Um, and so I don't know if that's the product of reshoots and hiding things, or if that's just because it's not super important to the story at that moment, like what's exactly going on. But I, I love the design that, you know, cause a lot of star Wars is world war two in Vietnam like that's kind of th- those were the inspirations and this is clearly World War 1 trench warfare because they are again going back they're back 10 years and so we get a different a little bit of a different Star Wars aesthetic so uh, I like that very much and it makes sense for Han to um kind of be keep getting downgraded because he can't not he has to do his own thing, can't follow orders, and so he's like, I want to be a pilot, and they're like, no, keep getting, going to bust you down all these ranks and until you're basically a grunt. Um, as for the meeting with Chewbacca, I liked it, and I actually had the opposite feeling, where I kind of liked that he just knew how to speak, um, how to how to speak Wookiees, Wookiean? I think it's just Wookiean. Wookiean? Yeah. Um, um, I did for, maybe for just for like, yeah, he speaks a little like, yeah, I speak a little Spanish, you know, or I speak, you know what I mean? Like, or I, I speak a little German or Italian or, you know, Swahili or whatever. You just kind of know a couple of phrases from different, somebody, you know, people just know a couple of different phrases from different places just in case you need something from somewhere. And so I just kind of, I just kind of plug it in that way, but. I don't know. In the same universe in which the guy is like Han Solo, I'm like I'm willing to believe that he just kind of knows some some Wookiee. Why not? Wookiees also seem pretty prevalent in the Star Wars galaxy. Like people like know what they are. They know what they're about. They know where they live. They're one of the like more established races. So it would make a little bit more sense that people just might have some kind of understanding of. Um, uh, at least how to communicate with them. So that's where I stand. Yeah, I, I mean, like, in the book that I mentioned before, The Paradise Snare, it goes into detail that it 
he knows to speak a little bit of Wookiee, but the first Wookiee he dealt with uh, understands basic, and I guess his Wookiees are just taught that. Um, so he's able to grunt a little bit to speak with the, the uh, Wookiee in general. So I guess that's kind of curbed for this. Um, yeah, and the, the fact that, like, I guess, like, if, if you want to get Chewbacca in here, I think this is the be- like, best way you can do it. And I like how they... Um, it does suffer from what the like the main character getting thrown around by a bad guy, so it's protagonist throwing. Like this, the bad guy should just like rip off your head, but they're gonna toss mm-hmm. you around a little bit. Terminators are are notorious at doing this. Um, if they don't have a gun in the hand, they're just gonna throw you around like you're in a WWE ring. But I like that they were able to work together and able to get the way out of there, and and eventually able to get off the planet but like you're right uh tim saying like it's very much like a world war one thing and how star wars is primarily based on world war two and vietnam and people are like oh keep your politics out of my star wars I'm like oh it was always there it was always about mm-hmm. it, it, it was always about warfare and the questions of it but they were able to get off the planet and join this bounty hunt like not a bounty hunt but like the, these these thieves and able to join this crew here that we mentioned before and agree to work with this one job in order for them to be able to get a ship and able to Hondu get Chewbacca back to Kashyyyk and he's able to go back to Corelli and get Kira. And so the plan is for them to go to the snow-covered planet uh, Vandor and the idea is to steal coaxula fuel, like hyperdrive fuel refined it anyway and they get to steal it it's very much like this is such a western thing we're stealing it off a moving train like that it's like one of the most archetypal like movie plots you have out there and it works perfectly because westerns are such a huge influence on star wars and so val is going to be like running an interference like up ahead on the the rails uh rio is is piloting the ship that they they commandeered from the planet that the Han and Chewbacca were on, while Han, Chewie, and Beckett are the ones actually getting the separating the one train car, and that's what they're going to take away and sell to the highest bidder. But along the way, things go awry, and a lot of people die, and like, kind of like not unceremoniously, like one person dies, like yeah, like okay, that that was inevitable. The other person, like. I don't think you need to kill yourself. Like there's a ways out of this situation. But uh, how do you feel, Justin, about this first heist? Yeah, it, it, I know what you're talking about with the uh, the needless death, and uh, yeah, because she took out a fair amount of those droids uh, prior to that. Like there were like five that came after. And she took out like three, no problem. And then all of a sudden, it's like, nope, nope, can't can't do that anymore. So it it's strange because I think it's a really good scene, uh, really good uh, action. I like the design of the train, the magnetic train, how it tilts and uh, gravity bends around it as it's going uh, around the mountain. That's really cool. And 
you know, we we see gravity not often be a, a part of Star Wars physics, um, but here it does, and it's uh, it's really cool how they play with that. Um, but yeah, the the deaths here just I don't mind Rio's death. I mean, you know, good death scene. It, it makes sense. Um, the suicide blowing up the bridge because this person can't take out two more droids. It's just... Uh, it just feels, you know, contrived. I, again, that's... A lot of my complaints are about this movie aren't, you know, the writing or the design or the acting. It's just, you know, some of the resolution feels forced. Mm. And what about you, Tim? Um, I really like, like you said, the you know it being a Western thing because this is this whole thing is you know this whole thing is the Western thing. It's like kid from the city ends up getting involved in the Civil War and then runs away into the West and robs a, a train and then goes to the to the you know the pub or the whatever and then goes and goes and goes and goes, kind of like that. So I liked the I like the great train robbery, you know, the great Star Wars train robbery um i like the way that they did the effects too like it's all real mountains that they you know they kind of um they kind of used in a 360 and it kind of like shot in the 360 um uh theater so that way like it it doesn't feel like they're on green screen or blue screen it it, it has a it has um it's, it kind of elevates the effects which i which i like um I don't necessarily agree that um, that the deaths are needless because it's about creating desperation and then a bond between Beckett and Han that they like now they only have each other. And so and like this is a guy that Han clearly looks up to early like that you get tells of that all the way back in the war part where like this is like when he's like when Beckett's like twirling his guns and like shooting all the stuff he's like this is a guy I want to follow um, I want to be like this guy so so it creates um, it creates a connection with them that they probably wouldn't exist if the rest of the crew makes it because um, because Beckett doesn't have anybody now so he also needs Han and they need to and so um and so they probably would kind of leave Han in the dust. Otherwise, it wouldn't be necessary. Plus, it also gives some kind of credibility to Infus Nest. You know, like it makes them, it it gives them um, what appears to be some kind of like street cred. You know, because they're basically like a biker game or a bike a biker game or Marauders or like a you know, you know the out the other other outlaw group. You know, mm. so. Um, so I kind of, so I, I never want to see Tandy Newton leave because she's great. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and Favreau was great. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I understand, I understand why it does that because he's Han Solo. So like eventually those, his numbers have to dwindle enough for him to like only count on himself and Chewie. Yeah, like it's 
not the fact that it's like they had to die. Like that's not the problem with it. I just feel like, like if Val was like took a few blast bolts and she's going to die, and that's why it was going to happen. Or like she fell off and she's able to pull the trigger when she's in mid fall, and that's how she goes out. I just feel like I don't know. I I just feel like it was not like there's other ways of doing that and like make that sacrifice a little work hit more. For me personally, I'm not going to begrudge anybody who finds it works here. Like, and the same thing with Rio. Like, Rio like was trying to defend himself, got shot, and that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think my bigger issue with it's like prior to the the actual heist itself is like, your name's Chewbacca. That's too long. I'm going to call you Chewie, and I'm like, you could have yeah. like I like that could have came up in yeah. more natural. Yeah, I don't even think it was necessary for him to state such yeah, things. No. You could just abbreviate it and it would have been fine. Right. Like, I was just like, I'm like, it's it's more like, like that if I a bigger grievance than like Han's surname being solo. Like that, like that, that one I, I roll my eyes at a little bit at, but. Well, even because they're different species or races or whatever, it's almost, it would almost be like somebody being like, oh, your name's Sacagawea. I'm going to call you Saki. Like, don't do that. Like that's that's hard. that's gross. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. On <laughs> like, what are you doing? That's just his nickname. Like, it's fine. Uh, oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah, right. I do kind of like that they showered together, and I know that's a weird thing to say, but I think they, they, they scene is hilarious. Where, like, couldn't have done this separately, you know? Because here again is this like weird like unity between them that like shouldn't be, but is. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good bond experience for them right there there's no barriers between them at that point um but yeah when the marauders show up and uh put the kibosh on everything that's going on there yeah it, it's like well all drama is intention and obstacle so something like this showing up is like it obviously could happen and it does suck that like yeah that they show up and screw screw the pooch a little bit here for but like i just wish they show up somewhere in the second act and didn't just like show up here and then in the third act i don't know i think they should like but oh but no i i'm telling a lie i'm forgetting this they do show up in the second act because they have the homing beacon on the falcon i caught myself uh making a mistake there but they lose the payload because the Han is like they're playing tug of war over the train car and he decides to cut the line. He he dumps the payload the first of many times he would do this in his career as a smuggler. But I do like the effect of it does create a black hole when it implodes on the mountain and very much like if it's going into hyperspace hyperspace itself. Um and now that I say hyperspace, I'm reminding Justin of the family guy making fun of hyperspace. <laughs> uh, like, huh, traveling through hyperspace is always so weird. It's, it's, the, it's the fourth doctor uh, <laughs> intro. <laughs> Which, I mean, the, the sequence in the, the Maw is uh, quite similar to that. You're not wrong. You're not <laughs> wrong there. Um, and so that's when Beckett uh, reveals to uh, Han, like, you know, that wasn't just for us. That was to uh, Dryden Voss, and he's going to expect some kind of payment from based on this. And he's like, well, let's go and speak to him. And Voss just happens to be on the same planet. Like, his barge was there. Like, okay, I can, I can kind of see that. I don't know if you want your 
ship so close to a uh, a theft that was going on. But okay, I'm not the criminal mastermind. But we're introduced to Dryden, played by Paul Bettany, who's scarred up face and likes executing people in his his own abode. But this is when Han is meets up with Kira and finds out they're part of the that she's part of Crimson Dawn, this crime syndicate, and that Han kind of talks the way into finding a way to repay the debt they owe now to Dryden and kind of gets them into a little over the head a little bit of how they're going to do this by doing the Kessel Run. So, Tim, how do you feel about the seeing Dryden introduce to Kira and their idea to do the Kessel Run? Um, this, this part reeks of reshoot, you know, like, because it's just a lot of exposition all, like, kind of lumped together. Like, oh, she just happens to be on the show, even just like you said by, you know, by chance, she just happens to be there. What a small galaxy, (laughs) things like that. But I do like that, um... Han is the one that like makes the call to dump the load because you know from previous Star Wars films we know that Han has a history of like not delivering on stuff that he's supposed to get to people you know like that's that's part of his big that's like why you know Greedo's after it's part of why Greedo and Jabba are after him in A New Hope and you know and then in Force Awakens you know like he's got his problems with the clans and like what you know what have I ever led you wrong like well, what was the second time, you know? So, you know, so the, there is like Han, like from the start, his like first job, Han doesn't deliver the stuff that he's supposed to deliver to the people. So I, I kind of like Han's like consistency there. Um, I really like Dryden Voss as a, as a, as a character, maybe because I really like Paul Bettany. Like I, that might be, might be more of that than anything, but um, there is like, it's, he's just, big time gangster he's like i own this town he's like that guy um and so i own the police (laughs) like you know they do what i want while i'm like hoarding out the gold in that mine over there and that's that's kind of who he is and but he's also like a collector of artifacts and stuff like he's got the little raiders of the lost ark guy um on one of the shelves and you know, so it's all good. Um, but I like that it actually showcases how like clever Han is because it's like it's naivete that like gets him there, but he does come up with a plan pretty quickly. And so sometimes we think Han is all like rush in, rush out, blast, blast, blast. I'm not thinking it through. But Han does think things through. He just wants you to think eventually that he's not. And that's what I that's what that's like he's not just lucky. He's like actually he's you know, he's uh he's not he doesn't fumble his way into things the way that people think he does. And I, I like that it kind of shows that here. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh what were you, Justin? Yeah, there's there's a method to his madness, I think is a a good way of phrasing it. And I was having similar thoughts um, earlier today, because the the wine in uh, A New Hope, I prefer a street fight to all this sneaking around. So you you (laughs) always expect him to be the one that just, you know, 
shoot first, ask questions later. Um, but here you see him, like, you know, just quickly thinking on his feet, finding uh, a way out of a, a situation that um, he caused himself to, to be in. Yeah, and it's funny, like, you mentioned The Force Awakens uh, to him, like, it's it's one line that sticks in my head every now and then, like, like I never did, had a deal with Contra Club. Tell that to Contra Club. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. That Maybe one also just, is, yeah, that would also get stuck in my head, too. I don't know why that. I don't know if it's just, like, Club. it's the syllables of it or it's just the how it's delivered, but it's, there's a weird lilt to it that's like, oh, like, uh, it's like, oh, it's pleasing to the ears. Um, we, we also got a move milker line in this uh, film too. Yes, uh, I mean, if only if somebody was scruffy looking, yeah. that would be mm-hmm. that would be something. And yeah, and so Dryden Voss is a man of many talents, including the acquiring of rare antiquities, as somebody would say. I, I was gonna say uh, his character <laughs> very very similar to Walter Donovan, and at the end of the film uh woody harrelson says pretty much the same thing as walter donovan <laughs> the empire oh this one right their way into the galactic history take on the take on the universe but i want something greater <laughs> and han's like i'm just gonna shoot you now <laughs> uh yeah and, and like I like the design. Like even if this is all reshoots, I like the designs of like I like the, the musicians. I like all the the even though it's like one pretty much set here of Dryden's uh, barge, but I like the design of it. Um, but I guess this is one place we can bring it up. Like, what do you guys think of the photography in this movie? Because that was another point of contention between Star Wars fans that somehow it's too dark or like not vibrant enough. Uh. Who, who, who talks first? You talk first, I talk first. Yeah. Uh, Points. Okay. Um, I really like the photography in this film. I don't think that it's... I think that... I, I think that the new era of Star Wars films, and I shouldn't say new era, at least Force Awakens is very saturated. Um, and so, and I, so when we say like, oh, it's not bright enough, I think you're really only comparing it to like the one movie before or two movies before that you saw. Um, and so like, like I would not, I honestly would not call a new hope colorful. Like it's really not. You move from a, a, a white ass spaceship to sand to gray, like that's the until you get to Yavin, you're like, oh, there's green in the galaxy. Who knew? Um, they know there's so much so, green in this galaxy. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, um, so I think it's good, but I think it's not colorful. To what I was kind of hinting at before is that like it's it starts in foggy Dickensian Coruscant, not Coruscant, um, Corellia, uh, Corellia, and then and then as we I know where it's kind of jumping ahead but like and as we move to like the mountain western side of things and then we go to the we go to the like the western mountain bar with the you know with the shiny light with the orange glow of the lanterns now you're like slowly seeping color in because han's world is becoming 
more colorful. It's getting filled with more colorful characters. And then you make it to Kessel, which is a mine. It's like the gold rush mine part of you know the western story and so that's not super colorful but then but then by the time you finally make it to the end you've got sunsets you've got ocean you've got all this stuff but at the very end it's all lush greenery because we've it's the exact opposite it's the juxtaposition to the hard cold contrast of Corellia and we end in nature basically where even like the table is stone and so the so like the color and the way that the it, everything is shot is so very intentional to show that progression so yeah it might not be like ooh pretty reds you know all the time or whatever but i think that's 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 on purpose and i i don't think well i don't think most people watch movies and think that way but um but i don't know if it's i don't know if it's as I think people are distracted by so many other things like is he being Harrison Ford or isn't he that like we kind of like lose track of especially in the first viewing you kind of lose track of stuff like that yeah I, I like the uh, the aesthetic of this film as I've, I've said before the the, the parts the, the the sets that need to be dark and gritty and feel lived in are and then you also have you know stuff you you also have sets like um dryden's yacht which you know very elegant they it has you know still a a darker color tone to it but um it feels very very clean very posh very um upscale for this type of of uh, criminal underground and then you know you, you get to to Kessel and again it, it's dark and it's gritty and it's um, you know it's very earthy you get to space and it, it's it's still dark but you know, um, a little bit more color. You get some some blues in there, so it's they're a very interesting color palette going on. Uh, but I think each type works for its setting. Yeah, it's like a lot of it's backlit. <clears throat> Like that that's the primary source. It's coming from the back of them. And it's usually like one light source is the primary light. So it's not a lot like a key light, a fill light, a backlight or anything. Like I just wish there's like maybe some eye light sometimes so we can able to separate them from the background. But yeah, it's a kind of like darker story. It's not like the traditional Star Wars movie. So yeah, it it's fine being less colorful and everything. Um like especially like the like the outside the mine and everything and like the big firefight that happens there like that I think is very vibrant and the actual Kessel Run itself like in like that is a lot of like vibrant colors and it's like it's a wow factor right there especially on the big screen but I think it was like one of those situations like this criticism was like oh we found all these problems with it oh I found another problem with it it's one of those things like you're dissatisfied with something and then you start 
tearing it apart left, right, and center. You're just finding more things to be upset about. But what they Han and the crew have des- decided on a soul dry on is like, oh, we're gonna go to Kessel these the spice mines and like we're gonna get raw coraxia and then we're gonna quickly refine it and bring it back to you before it blows up. So like we have a little ticking clock for the goods themselves. But okay, so the the heist that went awry, they walked to the barge where Dryden was. And then they happen to walk to Lando because we don't see him get on a ship. We don't. It's a snowy planet yet again. And you mean to tell me all all three of these big events all happen on the same planet? Do, um. Huh. Well, do they? No, they all happen on the. Because we never see him get on a ship after Dryden's barge. Just we just counts. see him walk up to. We just see him walk up to. Uh, the bar where Lando is and snow on the ground. Huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just kind of assumed that, like, they got dropped off. They took, like, a space Uber. <laughs> um, but that's, like, I... You're totally right. Is No, that can't be the same. It can't be the same. I hope it's planet. not. Believe me, I hope it's not. But it's, like, one of those things when you say... Like one of the criticisms of Star Wars is like, oh, it feels too small. It feels too insular. Like it's, um, like we've had that discussion with the end of Mandalorian season two, Tim. Mm-hmm. Like, with, like with yep. decisions with there, um, and I feel like this, like, it's another one of those you could add an argument with. But this is where Kira, Beckett, Chewie, and Han go to a bar to find Lando Calrissian, played by Donald Glover, and. It's one of those things that, like, it was, like, almost spot-on casting. Like, everybody was, like, so happy for it. And we get to see Han play Sabacc for the Falcon. And how Han, like, kind of, like, a lot of things. And, like, he just bluffs his way through it. And he's able to, he would have won if Lando didn't cheat him out of it. But, um... He lost to be fair and square, as they would say, but resulting in Lando actually being recruited for this uh, job here for starting at 50% and then ended up being 20% of the take is going to be going to Lando. Uh, but, Tim, how do you feel about the introduction to Lando, the introduction to the Falcon, and just Donald Glover in general as Lando? Oh, I, I think the... I well, I think Donald Glover as Lando is one of the best things that's ever happened to Star Wars. Like he's just so good. He gets the cadence down, like the rhythm of the the rhythm of the walk, the like all of it. But he's not copying Billy D. Just like just like Alden doesn't copy Harrison Ford. He does do his own thing, but it does feel like a natural progression. And I think like like he's just still so young that he doesn't really know what it's like. Like, when we meet Lando in Empire Strikes Back, like, he's a boss. He's, like, in charge of people. And that's, like... And Han hasn't seen him in so long. He's like, hey, look at you with responsibility and stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty serious. You know, I've got responsibility. And it's like, I I just like that we get what was carefree Lando-like. I like going back to, like, the Western the Western influence. I like that you meet him in a bar and it's like, the, there's like the cage fighting and the gambling. And you're like, he's the, like, 
he's the scariest one around, but in fact, he's just like the flamboyant one <laughs> around. And I just think that's in a fun way. It's subverting the Western, the Western genre. Like it's, you know, kind of like, look for the guy with the lapel and that kind of, that kind of deal. Um, it's just like the card shark. And I think that's, that's very fun. And the, the bar itself is cool. Like it's got that big skull in the front, the mammoth skull almost in the front. Um, as they walk in with the orange lighting and i think that i think that all all of that works for me and i like most of it because lando is really using them and you don't get that until they show up and the like the falcon is like the falcon is locked in place and it looks like uh looks like you're detained he's like what Oh, this is this is brand new information. <laughs> like I had no idea. You can take care of this though, right? You know, so um I just like Lando like Han always like like they are thinking ahead, but they just don't want people to know that they're thinking ahead. And whereas Han cheats you honestly, like Lando doesn't. And so they're kind of like they're kind of this they are in a lot of ways like kind of the two like the flip side of a coin um and so uh and so i just think yeah i think it, i think it's strong i think it works well and i yes we tim we've talked about this that like the star wars galaxy is a small place but you kind of they had to know each other from somewhere so i guess why not here mm. yeah like i'm not, I'm not saying that like, they, they shouldn't know each other I just feel like, did all three of these huge events happen on the same planet? That was my question here. Um, no, I have no problem yeah. with their introduction. But oh, what about you, Justin, their introduction to Lando and the Falcon? Uh, just a fantastic one of the highlights of the film for me. Um, I think we all could tell from like the first trailer that seeing Donald Glover as Lando was going to be uh, special and... It's definitely one of the parts of the movie that uh, was brilliant, both in concept and in execution. Because, um, as Tim said, he just gets everything about Lando correct. Like, uh, it's just really well done. Um, I, I would, touching on what you were saying, Rooney about does this take place on the same planet? I kind of assume it didn't, just because there's, like, that uh, quasi-voiceover that uh, Amelia Clark gives as they're uh, rocking up to the place. So I always assumed it was, you know, just somewhere on another planet, even though we're not explicitly told that, which... I'll get fair point to you though, because pretty much every time they in Star Wars they go from one planet to the next, there is you know a method to that of you know showing ship leaving arriving. Um, but I I think just from the the voiceover, it felt to me like um, they cover their bases and like you know transitioning without transitioning to it yeah it's 
What was it? Um, you showing us something, Tim? I, oh, yeah. I Sorry, I didn't want to talk over you, but um, I, I looked it up, and it is the same planet. Huh. So after the botched robbery on Imperial Train running through planet Snowy Mountains, Han, Beckett, and Chewbacca meet with Dryden Voss aboard the First Light, where Han reunites with Kira. There's also a number of small villages on the planet, including Fort Yipso, where the group finds Lando Calrissian and first lays eyes on his ship, the Millennium Falcon. This is this just like... <laughs> a really fortuitous planet in Han's life. I guess so, but I guess... I, well, I mean... Um, okay, let me let me headcanon this. Um I guess that is why Kira knows about him in the first place, is that they hang out on this planet quite a bit because I don't think Dryden hops from planet to planet. I think they stay on that planet and like circle round. But the barge ends up on the planet at the end of the movie. Because they because they're going to get the coaxium. Like, that's with a very particular purpose. Like, it's like a special occasion that he goes from the mountains to the beach. Yeah, and it's a different planet because that's where the refinery is. Right, yeah. I think, like, they that's like a, like, they have to do that. Right. But normally, normally he wouldn't. Um, all right, well. <laughs> I mean, how often does Jabba leave Tatooine? You know, like, almost never. And by almost never, I mean literally never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he went like, we, like, live action wise. We've only seen him in his, his palace, his barge, and the pod racing stadium. Right. Um. So. um we saw him in the mistake? hangar. That's right. Yeah, docking bay ninety four. Ninety four. Ninety four. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but last time I saw him, he was a a very big Scottish man. That's what I remember of him being in. Uh, in that that hangar, but that's me. I think you had a fever dream. <laughs> what you're talking about? Yeah, and like Boba Fett was there, and, and you were there, and you were <laughs> and there. You, and I don't know who the hell you are. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> Boss was there. He wasn't even yeah. invented yet. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, and so yeah, I think what you said before. Donald Glover is not doing a Billy D. Williams impression, but he's embodying what we expect from Lando Calrissian. Like, yeah. like mm-hmm. Justin said before, from like the first trailer, like everything you heard about me is true. Like that's Lando through and through. And the fact that he calls him Han and not Han, which is like I think mm-hmm. that was just a Billy D. Williams choice, and then nobody was able to break him from that. <laughs> yep. um, and not a lot of people can rock a cape and make it work, but he can. Yep. Uh, I like how they pay attention to uh, his cape selection. <laughs> his yeah. plethora of cape uh, selection, right there, or when his deal, like his deal, keeps getting worse all the time. <laughs> that he's like, I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but I accept it. Like just like that line delivery is like that's really cool, and I like seeing. Uh, what the Falcon looked like when it was in his possession before Han's like, but it makes you wonder like, was Han like a two pack a day smoker? Is that why everything looks so shitty? And <laughs> Seriously though, I like you when that first shot of like seeing the Falcon on the outside, not so much the outside, but inside. the inside where it's like you're white and you're like, your current oh, background you're right now. I'm looking at it. Exactly. And, and... Exactly. 
Murphy. And you're like, what did you do? He's like rubbing like bantha no crap Luke... all over the inside of it. Like what happened? Right. Right. No wonder Luke shows up and is like, what a piece of junk. Because, like, we don't know. They all kind of look like model kits in, in the original trilogy. You don't know. But then, like, this one, you're like, oh, no, what a piece of junk. Oh, my goodness. It's so it's like the guy who hasn't cleaned his car in 20 years. Like, ugh, like, like, you know, that McDonald's, they don't even make McDonald's cups look like that anymore. Right. And you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't get out of the uh, the cup holder. It's fused in there. Yeah, that's right. Like, oh, king size Batman Forever McDonald's cup. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> that's Han. That's the Millennium Falcon. Uh, but like, like cynically, you can say like, oh, they redesigned the Millennium Falcon because they can make more toys. I'm sure that's probably part of the decision there. But like the. Its centerpiece is not forked. That has that one piece mm-hmm. in the middle right there. Uh, it's the uh, the escape pod. Yes. Yeah. Which is a weird place to put a escape pod. But then again, you wouldn't put the cockpit on one side of a ship like that. It makes no sense. Sure wouldn't. Nope. It would be an awful, awful place to kind of like to feel all of that while while driving or flying. Like, forget about it. You're gonna crash. Like, forget about it. <sighs> Uh, before I forget, uh, we have a Clint Howard cameo because it's Ron Howard's movie, and so his brother has to show up, and so he's the droid wrangler who gets uh, manhandled by uh, L3, who's fighting for droids' rights, um, which I know a lot of people like cry to foul, like, oh, the, the Chevy SJW is in my Star Wars movie, and I'm just like, it's a droid. Like, really? You're really going to get that upset about this? Okay. Uh, but she does have one of my favorite lines later on when she re- removes the restraining bolt on one of the droids. Like, I liberate you. Now scooch. Uh, <laughs> just a throwaway line like that. But um, the fact that she and Lando are lovers in one way or another, and it, like everybody as the audience, including Kira, just has like, a collective head tilt to that, like like a confused dog. Like, how does that work? Uh, but somehow they make it, it works. Work. Yeah. Did you know that actually that that her suit was practical? Like I always assumed that that Phoebe Waller Cates was not present on set, but she was. Um, like they like a lot of like a lot of it was green. It was like a green bodysuit, but also part of like some of that stuff was strapped onto her, mm-hmm. and so she would like so the movement would like would still work the way that you wanted to. Um, which I thought that was great that she's actually interacting with everybody. So it was like similar to Alan Tudyk in Rogue One. Yes, very similar. Though Alan Tudyk didn't have any part. I don't think he had anything strapped onto him. I think he was just pure green suit. Okay, but I'm not positive about that. Or a gray suit, but I'm not positive about that. But he, he did uh, K2S. So it still has one of my favorite lines. Is his introduction line like, "This is a rescue. Do not resist." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's me trying to rescue my friends when they're in a bad situation like but like I don't want to do it like no you're coming with us mm-hmm. uh, and so they go to the mines in order to retrieve the coaxial um, uh, hyperdrive fuel and they impersonate uh, as slave runners and that puts you in, in chains who 
you know anything about Wookiees, they do not like that. That's not something they're cool with whatsoever. But uh, Chewie and Han are the ones that are being sold, while Akira and L3 are like the uh, dignitaries as well. And then uh, Beckett is playing the guard, and they separate. They're going to try and divide and conquer when getting the fuel itself. But as you imagine, things go awry. Uh, droids start an uprising. Uh, Chewbacca rips off the arms of certain people. And the heist doesn't go quite exactly to plan. So, Justin, how do you feel about when things go tits up, as it were, in this heist? I liked it. Um, good little action sequence and... I mean, you needed an action sequence here for obvious reasons, because it was never going to, you know, just be this easy. Um, But yeah, I thought it was really cool. I was a little... I was a little confused why there were Wookiees in the the Castle Mines originally. Um, I know in, uh, in Legends... Castle has always been like this penal colony that the Empire uh, has had, but I typically associated with like prisoners of war. Like this is where they would, you know, send any members of the rebellion, and not just you know random Wookies that they rung up on Kashyyyk. So after I got over that I was, you know, okay with it. It's just, you know, something jarring. Not anything that I particularly had a problem with. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty funny with the, the droid revolution, which I didn't expect. I didn't know I wanted or needed it, but it, it turns out I did, and I enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, I can understand why the first couple of lines that uh, L3 has is, I I don't mind politics in Star Wars, though sometimes, you know, if you're overly blunt about it, it can be a little immersion-breaking, is the way I put it. Um, but yeah, she grew on me as the, uh, the sequence unfolded, and, you know, when she liberates all the droids and they, um, unexpectedly help with the, uh, the breakout, you know, it, it was a cool little moment. And then, and unfortunately, she got shot. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Tim? Um, I also liked the the droid uprising quite a bit. Not a thing that I was expecting, but it again it plays right into the Western. Like this is a gold mine, and we're, it actually reminded me a lot of the Mask of Zorro, um, which is not technically a Western, but it's kind of a Western. Um, it's got the same it's got the same flavor, you know, where they're like, oh, we're gonna. We got the people working as slaves in the gold mine, and Zoro's gonna free him and stuff. And it, it's kind of like that. Um, and so I thought that was all good. And of course, it goes haywire. But um, 
this is about the point in the movie where I'm like, I just, just, just wrap, not wrap it up necessarily, but it's like, it's just one place too many. I think like we got the great train robbery and we got the gold. We got, you know, we got the Kessel, we got the Kessel mines and we got this, like, it's a little, it's, it's a little bloated for the short story that it's telling. Like, it's not a, we're not, it's not Shakespeare that we're pumping out in solo. You know, there's not a lot of intricacy involved. And so this is apart from the actual Kessel run itself, this, uh, the the Kessel mines almost feel unnecessary, like as far as like keeping a good clip to the movie going, and I'm not sure. Ex- it's it's not maybe unnecessary to the plot, but I just like I want the movie to kind of pick up its pace a little bit more from this point on. I can see that. Like I was surprised that this movie was like two hours and fifteen minutes. It's like by my memory, I'm like, oh, it's under two hours. That's what my memory told me. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, it's longer than I expected. And yeah, I think like the diversion with Chewie leaving to help the other Wookiees. I'm like, okay. I got like, you think like, oh, I guess we're not seeing Chewie again. But you was nice. But we know like, oh, Chewie's coming back. And but it makes you wonder like, why was it even there in the first place? But mm-hmm. um, Justin, you're right. It's the the droid uprising, something I never thought I'd want to see, but I I'm so happy I did. I mean, like, especially like a little gonk droid like jumping up and down the, on the controls, <laughs> sparks flying everywhere, yeah. and everybody turns around looking well, like, Elfie, what have you done? You've caused a revolution. Um, and yeah, and the fact that uh, when Han doesn't have Chewie, he's kind of he he's kind of up a creek. Sometimes he has to move these eleven really heavy canister or 12 really heavy canisters of uh volatile chemicals uh and i like the like shootout when they get to back to the falcon resulting in l3 getting shot i'll never get tired of seeing han and lando side by side firing blasters like that's something like that's another reason why i came to this movie yep that's the thing i didn't know i wanted to see until i saw it and I was like, yes, in the same shot, Han and Lando being cool together. Yep, I agree. And the fact that when he, Lando goes and get L3, and then, of course, Han and Chewie go to back him up and get him out of there, um, it, it's really cool to spotlight to see him all in the action. And I love that there's two like shots here that I really enjoy. Like, There's a shot where Han is backing up the ramp, firing his blaster, and then we kind of go black and then like all of a sudden like it opens up like on the ship and we see him actually move through the ship like obviously there was a cut when it went to black and everything but the fact that like oh they're treating like oh this is real ship and he's able to move throughout the cabin and everything and eventually go to the controls and actually fly it's a little details like that like because you never really like you see the falcon in sections you don't get you don't get a real long shot through the entirety of the ship and just like those little moments like that here I really enjoy and then we get to the actual Kessel Run itself of like they're in this highly highly destructive like space cloud but all, but instead instead of Galactus being in here this is fantastic mm-hmm. for so, Rise of Silver Surfer um, no we have a uh, we have the Imperials and a giant uh, Lovecraftian squid later on which I 
more Lovecraft in big budget movies is, is something I always say. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a real obscure Back to the Future 2 and 3 reference here, which I'll get to in a moment. But, Tim, how do you feel about the Han behind the wheel of the Falcon finally and him making the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs? I love that it's a combined moment. I think that's what I think that's what really sells it for me is that we actually like we get hints of I mean obviously we know Han's a good pilot but we get hints of his pilot skills earlier with the train sequence like oh kid you weren't kidding you really are a good pilot um and so but for to for him to make the Kessel run in under 12 parts in 12 parsecs but also to um know what that actually means in the current iteration of Star Wars, plus Han taking, plus pulling out tricks that he did ten years ago and hoping that they work, um, plus the love, plus the Lovecraft space monster, um, which actually I live about ten minutes from H.P. Lovecraft's actual house. Fun fact, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, it's pretty. Maybe like yeah, maybe ten fifteen minutes depending on traffic, but. Um, uh, yeah, very cool. But um, but I just like that it's it's all combined. I love when the Empire shows up and they use the New Hope Empire mo mo like motif, like bum bum Like it's great. What's a that's a wonderful a wonderful uh, callback. And so yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, honestly one of the strongest. I think it's one of the strongest parts of the movie is the Kessel Run. Nice, nice. What about you, Justin? Yeah, I I would agree. Just the the visuals, the the action, just seeing it uh, the action the the castle run take place again. Just you know, not something that needed to be told, um, but in execution. I think they really, really nailed it, because uh, again, in Legends, the Maw and Kessel always had like this very science fiction feel to it, and Star Wars, obviously, kind of Star Wars, kind that kind of science fiction, but not really. It's science, you know, space opera, basically. Um, but this really felt, you know, very Doctor Who-like, almost, just in the, the blue clouds of the, uh, the Maelstrom, um, and of course the Lovecraftian monster thing, um, and we were talking about lighting before, I think this is one of the times where the lighting really helps sells you on the horror because you clearly see there's a creature there but you just don't know how big or how scary this thing is. I think it really does feel like uh, sort of like a a sci-fi horror moment, which is really cool and not something that I was expecting in in Solo. 
I think it would fit well in uh, kind of similar to the the Mandalorian, where we had the the spiders in um, in the second episode of this past season. Like, not expected, but the way it was done was just like, wow. We we might need some more of this in Star Wars. Yeah, and. It was weird, like, the space monster says, like, fear me, Solo, I've killed many Time Lords, and Solo was like, I've killed them all, and it was like, that's that's immersion-breaking right there. Uh, and it's curious, like, you bring up the, the lighting of the Kessel Run itself, because uh, instead of doing the cockpit scenes on green screen, they had giant, like, 4K projectors projecting the lighting effect of hyperdrive stuff and them actually on the actors on the day so that's them actually reacting to it like i love that when a little bit earlier on when we see them first time going to hyperspace and we have that big pushing on han's face looking like a kid in a candy store and it's like those little details that sell the effects of the movie and i like the fact that you bring up uh the music before uh, tim because there's a mixture of the TIE fighter attack from A New Hope, and then there's a little mm-hmm. bit of the asteroid uh, chase in Empire Strikes Back here mixed in. And I'm the kind of person, I'm, I'm willing to get into a bare-knuckle boxing match and saying, the asteroid chase is the best piece of music that John Williams has ever written of all of his works. Fair. And I know, like that's something like that's a that's a hot take because people say Superman or Riz Lost Ark or Jaws, but and but like no, the asteroid chase. I think that's the best piece of music that John Williams has ever written. And I like here when we get to see Han the pilot and him inadvertently like tearing up the Falcon in the process. Uh, but like like I was saying before, uh, the Back to the Future reference because he's Han says like uh, this is something my friend Needles used to do back on Corellia well, until he crashed and died doing this exact thing and. In Back to the Future 2 and 3, we find out Marty got into a car accident where he raced needles and crashed the truck. And I'm just like, and I looked it up like, is that, that, that can't be a coincidence, isn't it? It wasn't a coincidence. It was a nod to Back to the Future 2 and 3 with name dropping needles. That's fantastic. I have not picked up on that in all the times that I've watched Solo. That's so good. And just that, of course, I texted, uh, friend chris about that he was like that's just amazing right there he he really appreciated that um i do love the fact that he literally just like put pretty much put steroids into the hyperdrive that's what gets him out of that situation right there but it inadvertently tears up the the falcon and crash lands on uh the planet severine and they're like okay we made it we're here i love this ship and lando's looking at the the pieces that were the Falcon right here. And he's like, I hate you. It's like, I know it's just the, that just encapsulate their friendship right there. But before they were able to offload the, the, the hyperdrive fuel to dry, that's when the cloud riders show up and, and the character of Ness, the leader of the cloud riders, uh, played by Aaron Kellyman who we recently saw in Falcon the Winter Soldier, um, playing a very similar role, ironically enough. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that 
they bought the fuel to fight the crime syndicates and everything and against the Galactic Empire. And this is where Han's kind of getting wavering, like, um, I don't know about this. And they don't know what the hell they're going to do. And But they decide, like, no, we have a plan. We're going to try and hoodwork Dryden. And this is when the multiple double crosses that come out here. Um, so, Tim, how do you feel about the revelation of uh, the Cloud Riders and the plan to hoodwink uh, Dryden? Um, I should have seen it coming, and I didn't. And so I always give a movie. I give a, I always will give a movie credit when it can trick me, um, because I just really assumed that they were, you know, the other other robbers, right? The other bad guys that they actually didn't. There, there was no overarching narrative purpose, and so I, I, I did enjoy that. I also like that, like she's just a kid. And so, really, and so there's, like, this is how terrible, with telling us, really, without showing us the the gory stuff, but this is how terrible organized crime in the Star Wars galaxy can be, that it forces a kid to, like, run a marauders group to, like, take them out. And they're not the rebellion, right, the official, like, rebel alliance, you know, because they're, they're, they're going after organized crime and not the Empire, but it is that same style of like we're the underdog fighting against the evil something or other and and so it gives han a bit of a taste for what he's in for in 10 years you know and like we can see like kira says like you know he like that's the thing that you don't want anybody to know that you actually have a heart of gold right and so that's what she says to him at some point in the movie that i cannot remember um and and so and the, and that's kind of this moment where it all comes together. And then, of course, there's the, you know, the the um, Beckett stuff with, like, you know, you're not paying attention. And so, and that works at a, there's a couple of layers of that in this movie. And Infus Nest is one of them right from the start. Plus, you get Warwick Davis, which is always mm-hmm. fun, um, you know, a couple of times. So, um, so it's good. It's good. But I, it, again, the clip I, at this point, it really needs to like it needs to pick itself up on in the movie. Like it does. Like once I think they go back to Dryden's ship, then it's like I, I think the I think it's it's really well paced. But some of the stuff when they're like just like dealing with Invis Nest and they're like expositioning themselves, I'm like, all right, we get it. It's, it's about hope. We got it. Understand? I understand. And what were you, Justin? Yeah, I think. I also was fooled. I was expecting, you know, some, like, big shootout-type, um, not really climactic fight, but just, like, you know, some sort of action sequence when Emphasis Nest, uh, caught up to them. Um, and it was, you know, really surprising that it just ends up being this kid leading a little gang that, uh, you know, is kind of being like Robin Hood, but not really stealing from the rich and more like just stealing from the people that are stealing uh, already. Um, I think, you know, they, they 
do enough to characterize um, Crimson Dawn here as well, because we we learn practically nothing about Crimson Dawn in this film except for when we're getting the exposition from Emphis Nest, and now you know they're not just like a uh, a crime syndicate, but also kind of working along with uh, the Empire as well, or, you know, if not working directly for them, at least, you know, under-the-table, black-market-type stuff, just, like, advancing the Empire's cause. So I think it's, it's, it's good that we found out just who um, Crimson Dawn is because they hint at it, you know, very, very subtly earlier on when they talk about who Dryden Voss is working for, but there's no other big, there's basically no other mention of like, you know, why are these guys, you know, criminals? What What's in it for them? Are they in it for, just for the power? Or are they trying to, like, you know, uh, be on good terms with the Empire? Are they just, you know, do they have something against, like, the Huts? Are they just, you know, what's their purpose? And we kind of find out it's like, they're kind of in it along with the Empire. Um, as we'll find out. Yeah. And it's curious that you mentioned Robin Hood. I mean, it would have been weird if she, like, said, if Erfordess just went, like, oh, merry men! <laughs> and then we get a song and dance <laughs> to explain <laughs> their backstory. Uh, and, I, like, it's cool to see Warwick Davis. Obviously, Warwick Davis was in Ron Howard's Willow, and he's obviously been part of Star Wars, so it was nice to see him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, he, that Han wanted to help them here. Like, I, I wonder if I wonder if it's counterintuitive to Han's character arc in A New Hope, because like I guess like if Han's character arc in A New Hope was like he wants to just get his money and save his neck. His need is like, no, he needs to learn to help others and put others before him. And that's what he does. And that's how he helps Luke at the end and uh, stops the Death Star. But kind of the same thing here. Like, that Han just wants to be with Kira. He just wants to kind of a selfish goal and learns to be selfless in helping Nest and her gang get away with the hyperdrive fuel. So I wonder if it like just kind of makes his arc in A New Hope kind of redundant, um, but which we can kind of get into. But yeah, it, it is curious here. Like I love how they were able to do that shot from A New Hope that was in the hangar scene. We get to see like the Han walk into a close up with his holster in the foreground and the his enemy in the background. Like that's something that fans have been wanting for decades at this point. Um, 
and or even Han tries to bluff like there's thirty people there's thirty uh of our compatriots and then that ship right there right back except and the Falcon just takes off right away. And Han just immediately shuffles back into his former position, like, all right, you you can try this instead. Um but yeah, even like the the final fight, he uh, all, after all the double crossing right here between uh, Beckett, Han, and Kira, and what have you, resulting in Beckett getting away with the fuel and shootouts ensue, and we have uh, lightsaber-like daggers in the mix right here. I, I find it to be an okay conclusion, and everything, but. How do you, how do gentlemen feel about like the actual like final fight uh, on the barge, and then Han dealing with Beckett afterwards, uh, Justin? Uh, the fight in the barge itself, I wasn't too. Uh, I think it was okay, like you said. I mean, it's not, you know, it's no uh, clash of lightsabers and investment on on clouds on. On Bespin in Cloud City. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's no Empire Strikes Back type ending, but it doesn't have to be. It's it's about it's all about these guys double, triple crossing each other and just like the mad chaos that springs from it. So it's at the end of the day this story is basically just about a bunch of thieves and who would have thunk it the thieves at the end of the day just all turn on each other at the end as it was always going to end that way so I while it may not you know be as you know Star Wars in inverted commas as you know a lot of Fans, again, in inverted commas, might want it to be. For the story it's telling, it works. How I know you like British television and British literature, that you said inverted commas yeah. and not quotation marks right there. The same thing. <laughs> I know there are. Like, it, it's... They are... It's, it's, I don't want to say the synonym, but, like, they are the same things. But, I'm like, if you start saying Z instead of Z, then I'm going to have to slap you, sir. Or you start spelling it like uh, color with, with a, a color <laughs> with a U, then you're like mm. it's gonna add U's at, after every O. Yeah, it, like that's like that. That is as, as credible as Madonna's British accent. <laughs> <laughs> but what about you, Tim? How do you feel about the final fights and the double, triple crosses? Does this mean you're a triple agent? What have you? Yeah, <laughs> um, I. I the final fight is fine. Like it is, like it is what it is. Um, I I do like that Kira gets the final death blow, um, into Dryden because like he is, like he is in some. You think that he is the representation of her, um, of her um, trauma, right? Or like, or you know her or her boundness to you know to to gang life into the underworld and all this stuff and because it kind of she always talks about dryden 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 but it also has like that little thing on her wrist you know so it's 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 not um 
shoot, Crim- it's like, like it's actually Crimson Dawn, and like the movie tells you because Beckett is telling you like you're not paying attention, and so so I do like that. I do like that in the final fight, it doesn't go to Han, it goes to Kira, and then that there's more to that later. Um, and I I do like the exchange with Dryden where he's like. So how did you make this fake coaxium? And Han's like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "No, it's like it's good, like it's really good. Like you almost fooled anybody, but it's like it's actually real. It's like actually the stuff." And I just think that was also a really good. That was a good like twist on a classic situation. Um, and when it comes to the Beckett stuff, um, Beckett is always really just out for himself so like all of his actions make sense to me in what we we see with the character but also Han shot first and I think that's the hard lesson that he has to learn in as opposed to something that he just does for the sake of doing it and so I kind of like that I kind of like that we see that first here in that like Han starts so optimistically in this movie where he even says I have a good feeling about this. Like that's one of the first things that Han says in the movie. And then so for him to go to that, to shooting the guy that he looked up to, that taught him stuff, and even if they've only known each other for a short time, Han clearly idolized this man. Um and so um I just I, I thought it's I think it's a very powerful character moment. And um and uh that doesn't classic original star wars isn't so interested in powerful character moments like especially early star wars like oh my aunt and uncle they're skeletons now well time to go on an adventure <laughs> you know and so like and and so like here we are we're just taking a moment to reflect on on that um on that relationship and how much that much that hurts for han i think it's good because it hardens him and that we need to see him get hard for him for um for leia to come along and you know you know peel all that back yeah it is cool to see him shoot first and everything um the go from the hopeful to the cynic um and yeah like like it is cool to see dryden go down by kira's hands and it's her she's the one who's able to kill the oppressor um she's capable of like taking out because uh we find out that the real leader of crimson dawn was uh it wasn't palpatine after all but it was his it was his uh, steward as it were it was darth maul with his uh lieutenant dan legs um and (laughs) (laughs) i even mean i didn't even mean to make myself laugh that hard but uh and put it there. It's Doc Maul. Doc Maul. You got new legs. Uh, uh. It, that just reminds me of a meme where it's somebody photoshopped Forrest seeing Lieutenant Dan on the dock, but took that force but put it on Mustafar. But Anakin, you have no legs. And uh, I, I laughed way too hard at that. Uh, <laughs> and I wonder. How many people, when Darth Maul revealed himself, didn't know who he was until they turned on the lightsaber? Like, how, in general, audience members only. I wonder how many people didn't know who he was my, until the lightsaber turned on. My parents didn't know that it was Darth Maul, but they're they're also the 
type of people that uh, tend to forget about the prequels. Gotcha. Heresy. <laughs> um, um, I, I would say that most, I would say that most people in the audience didn't remember who he was, because if you're not. If if you don't love Star Wars, you might forget what Darth Maul looks like when you saw Phantom Menace that one or two times, or you didn't watch Clone Wars and didn't realize how or Rebels or how important that character is to Star Wars mythos moving on. So, so the lightsaber, to, like it doesn't actually serve a narrative purpose; it serves an audience purpose to remind everybody who it is. Like, or just be like, oh, a lightsaber, he's probably important, maybe, says me. You know, and I think that that's probably what goes through most people's heads. I know that Ron Howard asked his son if he should include Darth Maul. He was like, hey, they want me to, like, film this scene and add this character in. Do you think that's a good idea? And his son was like, Dad, you need to film that scene. You need you need to put that in the movie. And so that's why, because his son was like, you need to do this. And he was like, okay, I guess I'll do it. (laughs) So that's how Darth Maul ended up in the movie. Who's just Maul now. I guess he's not really a Darth anymore. Um, It's funny like that. Like, there's good instincts on his son right there. And speaking of the children of Ron Howard, apparently Bryce Dallas Howard shadowed Ron while making this for a few days right before she started doing directing episodes of The Mandalorian, which is, I think, really cool. Um, and the fact that Ron Howard is really open to outside um, suggestions. Like, anybody who has, like, an interest in filmmaking or directing, like, take the Ron Howard Masterclass. It's really, it's worth every penny. Um, and just from beginning to end, like, it's, it's chock full of information right there. And, yeah, I, I mean, like, Myself and my friends, when Darth Maul showed up, I was like, holy shit, Darth Maul. But it's one of those things where, like, Darth Maul has come back in Clone Wars and Rebels. And it's getting to the point, like, it's almost like that Spongebob meme, like, where... <clears throat> How many times are they keep te- teaching you this lesson, old man? Like, this, <laughs> like for God's sakes, die already. It's not coming back. Like, you fart old man obi-wan at one point like that's I, I, I at least i believe he's supposed to at least I, i've seen art about uh ben kenobi fighting darth no, maul so it, i don't know it, if that... it happened in rebels okay uh, clearly i've not seen the rebels so i know that's heresy to some uh get out <laughs> do, do what you want and so it's your life uh and so kira abandons han and chewie and then they go off to um Get a little revenge themselves by uh, meeting up with uh, Lando and playing Sabacc again. <laughs> but I love when they, they saunter up to him and Lando tries to play nice and like, Hey, how you doing? Like, Chewie, tear his arms off. And <laughs> Chewie is ready to tear Lando's arms out of his sockets. Because uh, Wookiees are known to do that. Um, mm. But that's he's able to swipe the cheating card of Sabacc that, that Lando hand on him. And is able to win the Falcon fair and square away from and they get up into high sp- hyperspace and they take off. And and so the movie ends and like with the potential of other stories that could have been told. But uh, I'll ask you gentlemen, I'll go to Tim first. Final, like the end, what do you think about Han getting the Falcon and then final thoughts on Solo? Well, well, 
Um, I to go I to finish off my Kira theme because we're talking about Darth Maul. I thought um, she kills the oppressor, but the actual oppressor is Crimson Dawn, which is actually Maul, which like gives her a reason for her turn. Like she's a femme fatale, mm. and like you, Khan wants to believe that she's the innocent girl that he knew. But that's not true. And we kind of know that. So we shouldn't be surprised by her turn, even if he is heartbroken by it. Um, and so um, I liked all of that. I really would like that story to continue, but I don't think that's going to happen. But I would I would like to I would like to see more Crimson Dawn. I like truly want to see Crimson Dawn versus Black Sun. That's oh. what I'm really vying for. Come on, Prince Caesar. Let's do this. <laughs> um, so. Um, that's what I want. Uh, as far as how it ends up, Han goes in for the rematch, the comeuppance, and I, I love that because Han wins with honesty. He wins with fair play, and that's why we love Han Solo because even though he's like the rapscallion trickster, he's really not. He's the honest guy with a heart of gold, and but he like wins by tricking the trickster, and that is very satisfying to me. Um, plus, you know, I talked about earlier, you know, like the, the, the setting where you start with hardcore um, Corellia, all, you know, all man-made stuff. And then you end up where they're just like around, like in a cave around a stone table. It's like how far Han has come from the beginning of the movie, how like, you know, where he started from, where he's not just, I have a good feeling about this. And to like to a sloppy trick that almost gets him and Kira killed, but to a well thought out plan to get the Falcon. And I love that. And I love that L3 is the like the weird computer. We're like, I do no way your ship led to communicate. <laughs> and I just love that. That's just a, a part of the whole schema of the movie. So um, it's wonderful. And I like I said, I, I it's not the strongest um Star Wars movie in in the grand scheme it, it it still counts as one of the weakest to me but like I said I like all of Star Wars and so to say like this Star Wars is the weakest it really just means that I have other like ones that I like more but I like it and I will continue to watch it over again and I do think it's worth people's time for a good piece of escapism if anything and if you get over all the drama of like the movie being made it's it's at least a good time it's you know even if you'd never watch it again it, it's worth watching once very nice and what about you justin first to to go back to the the ending of this film i like how um when han arrives at the planet at the end it's kind of the reverse of uh their uh, first scene on Bespin in Empire Strikes Back where instead of Lando is the one like, why well, you got a lot of nerve showing up here. It's Han that like shows up and fakes out uh, Lando that he's going to have Chewie rip his arms out. So I thought that was a nice little juxtaposition on a, on a scene from Empire. Um, I like how Han gets the, uh, the Falcon again. It's just really cathartic that Han 
like uh, like you said, Tim out tricks the trickster, and you know, beats him at his own game, kind of by not cheating, by just you know, sleight of hand, uh, nicking the uh, the the cheat card off of him. <laughs> um, overall, it's it's a really solid film. It doesn't doesn't try to be, you know, um, something as grandiose as Empire Strikes Back or The Last Jedi, but it's it's just a simple story, and sometimes simple works. Um, it has its flaws. I think, again, there are some just contrivances just for the sake of moving the the story forward um but i mean that happens in a lot of star wars films overall i i still like this movie it's again one of the weaker ones but not for the the reasons that a lot of people say it's the the weakest. Mm. Um like I, I think a lot of a lot of people just view this film as you know, as we we talked about earlier, just, you know, not necessary. Um, which is true to an extent. But if you look past that you know what are what are people's actual complaints about it there there's i feel like there's very little you know critical analysis of this film other than oh it was pointless right and and I remember, I think you said this to me, and I, I got to give it to you because I think you're, you're right. I think we both saw this on on Twitter. Yes. Um, if this was a Disney Plus TV show, it probably would have landed better with audiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I did not see that on the Twitter, but I do agree. Um, even if it came out a little bit maybe like post Mandalorian even like if this was announced when they announced Lando and like all these other shows that they have coming out I think people would be like yes Han Solo TV show let's do it and so I don't know I I think that I think that it was kind of wrong place wrong time mm. but it had a it has a lot going for it yeah, it is the power of hindsight right there speaking. Um, I do like the conclusion of, like you said, with Han winning with honesty. And like, and like yeah, he won by just like sheer luck. Sure, he kind of, he swipes uh, the card away from Lando. Like, that's kind of trickery. But like, that's not like outright trickery. He didn't use the card. If he used the card, that'd be a different story. But it's like, no, no, no. I just took that advantage away from you. And... It does leave you wanting more. Like, okay, we seem to get to this point here. Now, let's see what kind of stories you can tell with that. And it's just unfortunate that we probably won't get that. But 
like you gentlemen said, like I like all of Star Wars. I like there's like there's obviously parts that I prefer more than others, but I'm not one of those people that like outright hates it. I mean, it's kind of like wrestling fans or Metallica fans. Like nobody hates this more than the fans themselves. Like nobody hates Metallica more than Metallica fans. And mm-hmm. Star Wars is no different. It's very rabid. It's like to the point that it could be. It it has been dangerous. I mean, just like people being driven off social media because of just the reactions to things when it's supposed to be for it's supposed to be entertainment first and foremost it's supposed to be escape but people take it very seriously and i think that's what entertainment is the word i would use this week because i think that's what it strived to be it strived to be nothing more than entertainment Mm -hmm. and telling a story that people thought they would be entertaining and yeah like cynically and you want to write it off in a one sentence review like you could say it's pointless you could say it's um it's redundant because like do we really need to know these things and to some people that's true some people say like no i don't need to really know about that others do other people love all the fine details of where people came from and their stories and i happen to enjoy it like yeah there were problems with it and uh that we've illustrated on in this review but um it never to the point that it's like oh i i never want to watch this again this is like this ruined Star Wars make no I'm not I'm not petulant like that it's a well it is a story that shouldn't work because of all the drama and that the fact that it's this entertaining to this point I think is a small miracle onto itself I just wish it was more successful so we could have gotten more out of it and with a cleaner story or this could have been a Disney plus show but wrong place wrong time but yeah so that is Solo, a Star Wars story. Hope everybody's enjoyed our review of it. Uh, Tim, if people want to follow you on social media and your podcast, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TimothyPG13. You can find all of my uh, podcasts, limited but including, but not you know, whatever that phrase is. Um, uh, Academy Rewind, which we go back through the Oscar, all the Oscar Best Picture noms and read up and beer with geeks and supergirl tv talk and uh, a host of others all at thoughtbubbleaudio.com and wherever you listen to podcasts very nice now justin where can people follow you on social media and your musings yeah. uh they can follow me mostly on twitter at uh, justin cirillo uh that's spelled with a c c i r i l l o uh Mostly just tweet about, you know, Star Wars, Doctor Who, uh, a lot about sports. Big, big time of the year for sports. So, uh, got a lot of hockey to watch. Yeah. Like, I have not looked at the score for the Islanders right now, and I know you've been keeping an eye on it. So, that's I why I'm like, I'm, I'm curious as we, when I open Twitter and see what the results are right now. <laughs> But speaking of Twitter, if you want to follow me on Twitter or on Instagram, you'll find me at this is Tim Rooney. Uh, Rooney as an R O O N E Y. My other podcast, please rewind the RF Four RM Retro Show, part of the Real Fans Four Real Movies Podcast Network. You'll find that show and all the shows as part of the Real Fans Network at RF Four RM dot com or wherever you sample your podcast. And my YouTube channel, Through the Lens Productions, youtube.com slash Through the Lens Productions, through as you're going through a door or window. 
I want to say, Justin and Tim, thank you for taking time at your evening to talk solo a Star Wars story with me. Well, thank you for having Likewise. me. Likewise. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Come back next time. We continue to talk about geek and pop culture, and we'll be speaking to you soon.